The Ten Commandments is one of the most epic Hollywood movies of all time. Produced and directed by Cecil B. DeMille in 1956, the film was one of the first to appear in Technicolor and the most expensive production of its era. Actors Charlton Heston and Ewell Brenner contributed their star power by playing the leading roles, Moses and Pharaoh Ramses. The word epic appropriately describes the movie version of the Hebrew Exodus because the book of Exodus plays an enormously significant role in the Bible. Sinai, the tabernacle, Moses, and the founding of the Israeli theocracy. What could be more epic than that? How about freedom from slavery? Jesus Messiah came from the Jewish people to free us from the enslavement of sin, which Exodus foreshadows. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. It's one of the most monumental books in all the Bible. And Dr. Ron Jones takes us there next on this Thursday edition of Something Good Radio. Hi, I'm Brian Davis. Wherever you are and however you may be listening, thanks for spending part of your day with us. The book of Exodus gives us a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ and the salvation that can only be found through faith in Him. Ron walks us through the second half of Exodus today as he continues his teaching series, Route 66, the ultimate road trip through the Bible. Stay with us now or look for us at somethinggoodradio.org where you can listen to the broadcast on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts, at Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's Ron with part two of his Something Good Radio message, Exodus, Freedom from Slavery. And just keep in mind, the keeping of the Ten Commandments was never meant as a roadmap to God. It was never meant as a, here, here's a ladder of spiritual success to climb, do better and better every day. No, the New Testament sets up this standard that if you fail in one of them, you fail in all of them. It's a pass-fail test, right? How you doing with the Ten Commandments? I mean, seriously. You can just check the box of probably two or three of them this week. Thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear, bear false witness, and so on and so forth. No, uh, the, the instruction of the New Testament is that the law, this portion of the moral law of God, was given to us so that we could see that we are sinners in need of a Savior. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Romans, says... I'm a covetous man. I didn't even know that was wrong until I read, thou shalt not covet. Okay? So that was the purpose of the law and the moral law of God. Brings us to the third kind of broad brushstroke in Exodus. We go from freedom from slavery, chapters 1 to 18, freedom to live right, that's chapters 19 through 24. Now the freedom to worship God. Chapters 25 through 40 introduce us to a detailed description of this traveling worship facility known as the tabernacle. Later, it was a permanent facility that was built first under Solomon, uh, later under Zerubbabel, expanded under King Herod uh, during uh, the time of Christ. Um, uh, that was called the temple at that time. It began as the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. 
And the tabernacle is among the great Old Testament object lessons that point us to the person, the nature, and the work of Jesus Christ. A few years ago, I did a series of messages titled, Audience with the Almighty, uh, Entering into the Holy Presence of God Through the Tabernacle. And we went back and we imagined in our minds this this tent of meeting and this other facility inside the, the tent known as the tabernacle. It has an outer court and an inner court, the tent of meeting does. And the first thing that happens is when you enter uh, the larger tent surrounding the tabernacle, you come to the brazen altar. The heat from the flames will put you back on your heels. Now, the first thing you realize is if you're going to have an audience with the Almighty, if you're going to enter into the holy presence of God, a sacrifice needs to be made. Atonement needs to be made for sin. It's a blood sacrifice, and somebody has to die. In that case, a lamb or a goat or a bull was substituted for you and for me, the worshiper. But it was a a startling, startling start. From that point forward, the priest represented the worshiper, and he came to the brazen laver, this basin with water, and he washed his hands and his feet, the priest did, as a reminder that You need to purify yourself as you move into the holy presence of God. Then he goes inside the tabernacle itself, and there are two spaces there, and an inner space known as the Holy of Holies, and then an outer space there where there are three pieces of furniture, the table of showbread, uh, the, um, uh, the, 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 the lighted lampstand, and then over here an altar of incense. The table of showbread was a picture of the manna who came down from heaven later, this Jesus who said, I am the bread of life. Uh, The golden lampstand was a picture, of course, of of Jesus who is uh, the light of the world. And then the altar of incense, a picture of the Holy Spirit and the power of prayer. And the priest would interact with all of that before he passed uh, through the curtain and into a place known as the Holy of Holies. Now, Only the high priest could go there once a year on the Day of Atonement into the most holy place where you found the Ark of the Covenant and between the golden cherubim, the Lord said, there I will dwell. It is a picture of how God makes a way for sinners like you and me to enter into His holy presence. And how all the way back to the brazen altar and the sacrifice, the blood sacrifice that needed to be made, it is a picture of Jesus Christ. It's also a reminder of just how much God wants to have a personal relationship with us. The extent to which he will go after the fall in Genesis chapter 3 to re-engage and to reconcile sinful man to himself. He said in no uncertain ways, You come to me on my terms, but I want to have a relationship with you. And this is part of his grand redemption story that picks up steam here in the book of Exodus. There's freedom from slavery, freedom to live right, freedom to worship God. Now, here's one last question I want to ask and answer in our time that remains. Where where else is Christ in Exodus? Because I said earlier, this is one of the most monumental books in the Bible. It is enormously significant as, um, as a picture of, uh, 
of our salvation in Jesus Christ. Interestingly enough, though, there's not a single um, messianic prophecy in the book of Exodus. We go to other places in the Old Testament, many places for uh, predictions and prophecies concerning the Christ who is to come. But Exodus is, has a plethora of types and pictures and what are called foreshadowings of Jesus. And let me, I've mentioned a few of them, but let me just highlight three in our time that remains. Number one, Jesus is the prophet greater than Moses. What do I mean by that? Let's fast forward a little bit in the Pentateuch to the book of Deuteronomy. It's 40 years later, and Moses has brought the children of Israel to the edge of the promised land. He's already been told, Moses, you're not going in. Moses, or Joshua will lead them into the promised land. And there's a new generation of Israelites, those that came out of Egypt that grumbled and complained, and we'll get into all that in the book of Numbers. They lost their right to go into the promised land. Now it's the next generation. It's the kids and the grandkids. The book of Deuteronomy is um, a collection of speeches, sermons we might call them, that Moses gave to the next generation to remind them about the covenant responsibilities as they went in to take possession of the promised land. And in the midst of that, Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15, here's what Moses said to them. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. You go all the way to the New Testament, to Acts chapter 3, on the day of Pentecost, and the apostle Peter links Jesus to this prophecy right here. Jesus is the prophet who is like Moses. He's the one that Moses was pointing them to. Did they completely get it at that time? Probably not. Stephen, the first martyr of the early church in Acts chapter 7, does the same thing. He says, hey, children of Israel, do you remember reading about this in Deuteronomy chapter 18? Do you remember reading what Moses said? This Jesus is the prophet that Moses talked about. And then you go further into the New Testament to um, Hebrews chapter 3, and the writer of Hebrews says it more fully. He says, uh, Jesus has more glory than Moses does. He is the prophet of greater glory than Moses. So even in this iconic, epic figure known as Moses, there's a foreshadow, even a prophetic foreshadowing of the one who is to come, Jesus Christ. We'll be right back with more of today's Something Good message from Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Something Good Radio is a 100% listener-supported ministry. We depend on your prayers and financial support to help Ron share the gospel of Jesus Christ through these radio and internet broadcasts. When you give this month, we want to say thank you with a brand new resource from the ministry of Dr. Ron Jones, an ebook he wrote that goes along with his current series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. The first of eight ebooks in the series is based on the books of the law, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456. You can also call our offices at 757-276-1099. Now, let's join Ron for the rest of today's Something Good Radio message, Exodus, freedom from slavery. Secondly, 
Jesus is our Passover lamb. Now, if you know anything about the book of Exodus, you may be saying, you know, Pastor, you kind of just glided past Exodus chapter 12 and the Passover event. I did, but I was saving it for this time. Because there's probably uh, no more robust picture of Christ and our salvation than the Passover event, also known as the Lord's Passover in Exodus chapter 12. Let's go back there for a moment. Nine plagues increasingly hardened Pharaoh's heart. The tenth one was coming. The killing of the firstborn in Egypt. Every family, even all the livestock, the Lord was going to send the death angel and every firstborn living creature, including Pharaoh's son, would die. That'll get your attention. It got Pharaoh's attention. It was a horrible night. And the Lord said to Moses, um, here's how you and your people can escape the death angel. He told them to, to find um, a spotless lamb, to kill the lamb, to prepare the lamb as a meal, and as a family to eat the meal standing up, prepared to leave. Furthermore, I want you to take some of the blood from that lamb, and I want you to paint it over the doorposts of your house. Very important, Moses, to tell the people to take the blood and apply it to their own house. And when the death angel passes through Egypt, when he sees the blood applied to the house, he will pass over your household and you'll be safe. In fact, uh, Exodus chapter 12 and verse 13, and when I see the blood, when I see the blood, can I say it again because it's significant, when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt, the Lord's Passover. There was weeping and wailing that night from the Egyptians who woke up to a dead son or dead animals. A lot of death in Egypt that night. And that's when Pharaoh said, fine, get out of here. And the Israelites plundered the Egyptians, and they were free. They started on their journey. The Apostle Paul picks up on this scene in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, and he says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And there's a lot to the imagery here, but I want to go back to the blood. When I see the blood. You see, it wasn't enough for them to just kill the spotless lamb and eat the meal. They had to go one step further and personally apply the blood to their doorpost. And so it is in the Christian life. It's not enough. Well, it is sufficient that Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood for your sins and for mine. But it's not effective in your life and mine until we personally, by faith, apply the blood of Christ to our lives. What I'm saying to some of you is, you can't have a right relationship with God just because you sit in church. Just because you know the stories intellectually. I remember years ago when I was working in the corporate world and 
one of the persons on our team was a young Jewish girl. And she lived in New York City, and she used to say to me, oh, I love the Bible. I just love the stories. You can love the stories, the epic stories of the Bible, and be amazed by it all, but have never by faith taken the step to apply personally the blood of Jesus Christ to your life for the forgiveness of your sins. Don't miss that step. Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. Uh, he's the provision that God has made to escape eternal death, separation from God in a place called hell. Thirdly, Jesus is our high priest. All that is foreshadowed in uh, the tabernacle, all the priestly responsibilities and all that is laid out in there is a reminder of what uh, the New Testament writers pick up on, that Jesus, uh, he's not only that prophet greater than Moses, he is our king, but he is also our high priest. We call it the threefold ministry of Jesus, uh, prophet, priest, and king. Hebrews 2 and verse 11 says of Jesus, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, listen to this, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. The Old Testament ceremonies, the, the, the priest represented the people and the sacrifices that they made, but Jesus is our high priest to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That's a big you know, 16-cylinder theological word that means uh, the satisfying of God's wrath. In the Old Testament, it was the blood of bulls and goats, and they had to do it over and over and over and over and over to satisfy God's wrath against sin. It was a substitution kind of thing. We talk about the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ He's our substitute. He died on the cross to satisfy the wrath of God so that you and I weren't on that cross. That was foreshadowed in the Old Testament by the substitution of a lamb or a bull or a goat or whatever the animal was. Hebrews 4 and verse 15 and 14 and 15, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession the writer goes on to say, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus is our high priest, not only to represent us before God, but um, to sympathize with every weakness that we have. He's a great high priest who understands the struggles you're going through right now. Even the struggle with sin that has enslaved you, that you're addicted to, uh, that, that you're crying out, though quietly maybe, but crying out to God, will somebody set me free? Jesus again began his ministry by saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to set the captives free to give liberty to those who are in bondage. And then he showed us how to have a relationship uh, with this holy God. And so I, I, we're, we're only in our second stop in the ultimate road trip through the Bible. 
And I cannot commend to you this Jesus more than I can from the book of Exodus. He's all over it in terms of types and shadows and foreshadows and pictures pointing us to the Christ who is to come, reminding us of God's plan, and it's His plan. He sets the terms of how we enter into a relationship with Him. Fallen from grace in Exodus chapter 3, God went into, into His plan, and this is part of it. What a monumental, significant picture from the book of Exodus we have of all that is called salvation and redemption and freedom that is ours in Jesus Christ. Thanks so much for joining us for today's Something Good radio message, Exodus, Freedom from Slavery. Well, Ron, the major theme in the early chapters of Exodus is freedom from slavery. Now, the Israelites were literally enslaved by the Egyptians, but as we know, the Exodus account also serves as an illustration for all of us about how God can free us from the bondage and penalty of sin. Does this apply solely to unbelievers, or is there a message here for believers in Christ as well? Brian, let me start with this. Uh, The promised land is an example of our entrance into the abundant, joyful Christian life here on earth. It is not meant to be a metaphor for heaven, but rather our relationship with God in the here and now. The reason I can safely say that is because, as we know, Moses did not enter the promised land. He was kept out due to sin specifically his pride. But he was certainly a redeemed child of God, and we know from later books, including the book of Revelation, that we see Moses in heaven. So in Exodus, there is a clear illustration of our salvation experience, of the journey from bondage to sin and death to deliverance by and through the work of Jesus Christ. But as we clearly see, both here in Exodus and in the books of the law that follow, Even after a person has become a redeemed child of God, he still has a sin problem. So to answer your question, the bondage to sin spoken of in Exodus, well, it can be viewed as a metaphor for both salvation and sanctification. The Israelites, even after being delivered from bondage in Egypt, even after being declared the chosen people of God, still went through cycles of sin and disobedience. So do we all, Brian. So do we all. So yes, what we find here in the Exodus account is that freedom from the eternal penalty of sin, which is permanent separation from God, well, that's only part of the narrative. There is also a constant battle with sin even after salvation. We have been freed from the ultimate penalty of sin, but we have not yet been freed from the presence of sin. Even in the promised land, as well as on the journey to it, the presence of sin is clear and unmistakable. And that is why God did not and does not stop at saving us. He wants to sanctify us as well, to make us become more and more like Jesus here on earth, and ultimately to see him face to face in heaven. That's Dr. Ron Jones with some final thoughts on our deliverance from bondage to sin a major theme in the book of Exodus. Well, Ron, the clock is winding down, but let's talk for a moment about where you're headed tomorrow here on Something Good Radio. Well, Brian, tomorrow I begin a two-part message on what is almost certainly the least popular book in the Bible. I'm talking about the book of Leviticus. 
But there are some hidden gems in this book, Brian. If Genesis shows us humanity ruined and Exodus shows us humanity redeemed, Leviticus shows us humanity worshiping its Redeemer. It is largely about holiness, obedience, and worship, but there is also plenty of great practical advice about taking care of our bodies. Now remember, this journey we're on through the entire Bible is an overview of each book, so we don't want to get too deep into every aspect of Leviticus, but I'll hit the high points. And Brian, you might even walk away saying, I love Leviticus. That's next time when Dr. Ron Jones takes us to the book of Leviticus in his teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Join us then for Something Good. Now for Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for listening.